Let me ask you to turn one more time to the book of Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes chapter 12. I got an email uh, yesterday from some friends who have lived in England and served the Lord there for many years. Uh, I actually read it uh, this morning early, and uh, as I was reading it, they were, they were talking about how they were about to move from over there and uh, various instances of saying goodbye to uh, old friends, people that had meant something in their life, people that uh, they had had relationships with, and, and some of them, they all realized they, they may not see each other uh, again this side of heaven. Uh, it was moving to, to read that, but as I read it, I thought, you know, in just a very small way, that's kind of how I feel at the end of books like this. It's almost as if you're saying goodbye to an old friend. You know, you've been with them for a while, and maybe they've impacted you because you have spent more time in it than you had before, and uh, then there comes the time where you get to the end of it, and you just kind of uh, move on. And so today, in one sense, as we finish up this series in Ecclesiastes that we began at the very beginning of uh, this year. Of course, we had some breaks during that time, but uh, we're going to see the summary, and we're going to see the, the summary of the whole matter. What's he going to say here at the end? What are there here at the end pieces, you know, the best pieces, what's he going to say. So let's give our attention, beginning with the ninth verse. It says, Besides being wise, the preacher also taught the people knowledge, weighing and studying and arranging many proverbs with great care. The preacher sought to find uh, words of delight, and uprightly he wrote words of truth. The words of the wise are like goads and like nails Firmly fixed are the collected sayings. Uh, they are given by one shepherd. My son, beware of anything beyond these. Of making many books, there is no end, and much study is a weariness of the flesh. The end of the matter, all has been heard. Fear God and keep His commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's bow together. Lord, we do ask now in these few moments as we look at the summary of this part of God's Word, that you would enable us to, to tie it in with the rest of the book, but more importantly, to your big plan and your big plans 
for us. And so, Lord, we pray that you'd give us ears to hear you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Bono, who I know you know, is the lead vocalist for uh, the Irish rock band U2. You knew that, right? This is what he says about Ecclesiastes. He said, Ecclesiastes is one of my favorite books. It is a book about a character who wants to find out why he's alive, why he was created. He tries knowledge. He tries wealth. He tries experience. He tries everything. You hurry to the end of the book to find out why, and it says, remember your Creator. In a way, it's such a letdown. And yet it isn't. Well, I think he's actually right. I think in some ways, uh, you, you kind of expect that with all of these various things that he has experienced and that, that he has spoken of, that there is going to be some huge surprise at the end that will draw it all together. Now, I think there is something at the end that draws it all together. But I don't think it's a big surprise. And I don't think it's a letdown either. Although at first glance, who wants to hear the very end of a book say, well, God, for God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. Amen and amen. You know, who... Who wants to hear that at the end? And yet we know that Ecclesiastes is just another part of the big picture of what God is saying to us. And it leads us absolutely to the truth. Let's take a look, first of all, at this, uh, this first section. And by the way, we ended last week with verse 8. Some, some commentators will say 8 through the end of the book is, uh, is an end, and, you know, that's their choice and so on. But verse 8, he says, Vanity of vanities, says the preacher, all is vanity. Now, that's what some would call an inclusio. In other words, it's like a, almost like a parenthesis. He begins the book that way, and virtually ends the book that way. And then all in between, there's a, a number of things that he says and tries to make points of. But then we get to another section after the inclusio. After another vanity of vanities, says the preacher, all is vanity. We really wouldn't have wanted to end the book that way, I don't believe. So let's take a look, uh, uh, summary of the teacher, verse 9. Uh, Besides being wise, the preacher also taught the people knowledge, weighing and studying and arranging many proverbs with great care. Now, 
there are some that believe that someone other than Solomon wrote this last section. And maybe you picked up on that. Maybe you, you saw and you thought, well, why is all of a sudden he kind of talking from a, a third person if, he's, if, he's talk, if it's still Solomon speaking? And I want to tell you this, that if you, if you choose to, to think someone else wrote that last part, that's okay. Uh, there are uh, commentators that are evangelical, that are Bible-believing, that absolutely hold to the authority of the Word of God that think that somebody else wrote this last part. And it's just as inspired as the rest of the book and anywhere else in the Scripture. So if you look at it in that way and you choose to believe that someone else was writing a summary, that's all right. Uh, I happen to think it was still Solomon. Now you might say, well, that's sounds rather prideful, doesn't it? If it's Solomon, starting out by saying, besides being wise, the preacher, <laughs> you know, if he's talking about himself. Well, it could be said in a prideful way. But where did Solomon get his wisdom and where absolutely did he always give the credit for his wisdom? From God himself. And so if you are saying, uh, this is a characteristic of me, and you're talking about a gift that you have been given, that's not a prideful thing. It is God-glorifying. So I happen to think it's, it's Solomon still just kind of shifting gears, uh, setting it apart in a way, but uh, still him. He is more than a king. He was a preacher-teacher. Now notice what he says there, um, talks about weighing and studying and arranging many Proverbs with great care. Imagine that. Imagine if you were told, okay, today I'm going to hand out pieces of paper and uh, you're going to write something on those pieces of paper and then we're going to frame those pieces of paper and we're going to put them up in the new building so people from now on will be able to see what you have to say. And so as long as this world lasts and that building lasts, uh, people will be reading your words. Would you be careful what you wrote? I hope you would. You'd say, this is serious i got to choose these carefully because people are going to be looking at that and, and reflecting upon that, and that's what we see here. He had that sense. Now look, at, look he goes on about the care given. Uh, verse 10, the preacher sought to find words of delight, and uprightly he wrote words of truth. He didn't write things flippantly, but searched out just the right words. Now I'm more of a words person than I am a a numbers person, for instance. And, and I, I really, as we've gone through this book, have appreciated the, the turn of a phrase that he has used. When you think of phrases uh, that we see, some of them have become names of books because they are uh, you know, a, a wonderful way to make statements. The sun also rises. 
eternity in their heart. Cast your bread upon the waters. To everything there's a season. And on and on. Now here we've got kind of a rare glimpse of how the the Scripture is written and how someone who is inspired by God and yet God uses His abilities and His words to make it the Word of God. Because we know that uh, the the Word of God, we believe that it's inspired, that means uh, uh, poured out by God. And yet we know that those who wrote the Word of God weren't just secretaries, They weren't just taking dictation because we see various styles with the different writers and so on. And so here we see uh, how careful Solomon was, even though he was inspired by God in writing this, but he he carefully chose the words. I would say under not only the inspiration, but the protection of God so that the very thought and word of God was here. Now he goes on to talk about the purpose, verse 11. The words of the wise are like goads and like nails firmly fixed are the collected sayings. Now here he uses two similes really to describe the word of God. It's like uh, goads um, and like nails firmly fixed. The goad you grew up on a farm, you, you know what a goat is. You know, if you got a stubborn animal, you get something sharp, and that makes that stubborn animal move. Now, ideally, you're not going to injure the animal. That's not the point. But it prods the animal into movement, into action. And that's, that's kind of what, uh, what this is saying. The Word of God will do that. Last week, someone uh, said to me, man, I, I should have worn my steel-toed shoes today. And uh, they were talking about feeling like their sto- uh, toes had gotten stepped on. Well, you know what? If you're a believer, if you're submitting yourself to the Word of God, it's going to feel like that Sometimes. We are going to feel prodded along, moved to action. And if if you're never moved to action by the Word of God, you need to ask yourself, am I even alive to the Word of God? Do I even have ears to hear the Word of God? Because there will be those times. And by the way, if you ever feel like, oh boy, he, he stepped on my toes today, you need to just think about me for just a moment, okay? Because whatever I say to you on Sunday morning, you got maybe 30 minutes of it. I've got a whole week of having to deal with that. I've always felt like God put the weaker ones in the pulpit because we had to deal with, uh, with it for much longer and uh, uh, have our own toes stepped upon But you know what, that's a good thing. That's growth when we sense that uh, goading along. And like nails firmly fixed are the collected sayings. You think of like um, if you have a tent 
Maybe you're camping, or maybe you're out on the beach, and you got the wind, you know, the wind, and you put up the canopy. Well, you need something to hold it into place. And it says that's what the Word of God is like. And there are marks that we receive to hold us into place. You know, here we are almost 10 years from 9-11. If you were old enough to remember it, and by the looks of you, most of you were, if you were old enough, you can probably say where you were at that time. It was, in that sense, this generation's Pearl Harbor, Kennedy assassination. If you were alive for those things, most people can remember where they were and the circumstances surrounding it. It's a marker, boom, where things in your life changed and where you can remember. And Solomon is saying that's the Word of God. That's these sayings as well. Now, why are these of such value? They are given by one shepherd, verse 11. Now, some think that that shepherd was Solomon. We don't see him really call himself a shepherd. I, I think it's talking about God himself under the one shepherd. We see that elsewhere in the Old Testament. Psalm 23, Psalm 80, where God is talked about as a shepherd. Then you go to the New Testament. You see Christ himself talked about as a shepherd. That's what brings it all together. That's the importance of it. It was not that Solomon gave all these sayings, but that God himself, the shepherd, gave all of them. And then there's a warning. Verse 12, my son, beware of anything beyond these. Of making many books, there is no end. And much study is a weariness of the flesh. What a great quote as we are beginning school again, huh? Is that not the life verse of many students? I've used it, you know. Dad, look what the Bible says, you know, that of many books, there's no end. And much study is a weariness of the flesh. That can't be a good thing thing. Well, let's think about what it's talking about in, in, in this area. There are now, no doubt, more books than there have ever been. More authors, more publishing, more books out there. The point of it is not that they have no value. Look carefully at, at what it says. Look at the first phrase. Beware of anything beyond these, of making many books, there is no end. Here's how I see it applying. Just like there's a difference between knowing God and knowing about God, there's a difference between knowing about the Bible versus knowing the Bible. And if you're a Christian, and if you've been a Christian for any length of time, and if you're a reader, <laughs> those three qualifications, then here's a temptation. 
to spend more time reading books about the faith and about the Bible than reading the Bible itself. Now, the reason I know that's such a great temptation is because I have, uh, in 31 years of ministry, and I started before that, uh, preached and taught now thousands of times. And you know what? I can, I can look at one verse in the Bible and I can read page after page of other books about that one verse. And it's very tempting to get those two confused. And so we need to take care. Maybe we won't ever uh, have it exactly equal, but we need to make sure that we are not substituting reading books about God and about the Bible versus reading the Bible itself. John Bunyan said this. I'm going to rework his words because he started out by saying, uh, by the way, John Bunyan who wrote Pilgrim's Progress, but, uh, but they say about him that um, he bled Biblene, in other words, the Bible. That's how much he knew the Bible. He said, neither trouble your head, though. What he was saying was, don't worry if you don't have commentaries and expositions. Pray and read, read and pray, for a little from God is better than a great deal from men. <laughs> you see what he was saying? You know, look, don't, don't, don't think you can't know God and know his word if you don't have a bunch of commentaries and you don't know Greek and Hebrew and things like that. You've got his word. Just a little bit of that outweighs all those other things. So here we are. It's been 18 previous weeks of messages about this great book. Solomon has laid bare his heart. How's, how's he going to bring it together? What's he going to say? What is the end of the matter? Verse 13, the end of the matter. All has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. Fear God. Now that sounds so negative. And maybe you're visiting with us and say, oh, no, you know, I, I always, I, I feel like Christians can be so negative and now they're <clears throat> wanting me to fear. I've been trying to get away from this fearing God stuff. Well, let's understand what that means. You see, there, there's a difference between having a good and healthy fear of God and being afraid of God. All throughout Scripture, God's people are told, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid of this or that. Don't be afraid of any of these things. But there's one thing we're not to be afraid of, but to fear, and that's God Himself. And it means reverence Him. He is not your little buddy. He's not your butler. 
He's not there just at your beck and call to make you comfortable. He is the God of the universe that created this universe and beyond. Fear God. Have a reverence for Him. Stand in awe of Him. You don't need to be afraid of Him. Actually, there are those that need to be afraid of Him. And that's those that don't have a relationship with Him. If you find yourself in that case, you have much to be afraid of for eternity. Well, Solomon goes on to show what fearing God in the proper sense looks like. He says, keep His commandments. Fear God and keep His commandments. Now you say, well, okay, well, I, didn't, I thought we didn't believe in works here at this church. We do not believe in salvation by works here in this church. It's not that we don't believe in doing the right thing, in being obedient to God. Of course we do. But the difference is the motivation. In other words, we don't obey His commandments in order to get His favor. That's what other world religions do. They say, do these things in order to get to God. But instead, we have a God who has come to us. And so, out of gratitude, we do these things. But keeping a bunch of commandments sounds burdensome. It is only burdensome without love. If you don't love the one who gave you the commandment, and if that one doesn't love you, then it's burdensome. Because that's just religion. That's just works. Solomon was the wise one. Let's listen to the wiser one, Jesus. He said, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I've spoken to you that your joy may, may be in you and that your joy may be full. You see, he's saying that so far from uh, keeping commandments, so far is that from being a burden for those that are in relationship with him, it actually makes your, your joy full when it's out of love for Christ and out of Christ's love for us. Now we get to the last verse. There is a judgment. God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. Our deeds, our thoughts, our actions, they'll all be brought into judgment. That should be awesomely scary. Every deed, thought, an action? Jesus said the same thing. I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. For by your words, you'll be justified, and by your words, you'll be condemned. 
So, Dale, you're, you're ending Ecclesiastes like that? With a threat of judgment? Is that really the end of the message? I'm ending Ecclesiastes with the greatest news you could possibly hear. And that is, yes, there is a judgment, but you can know the judge. You can have a relationship with the judge. Most people think of God the Father as the judge. You know who the judge is? John 5, Jesus said, the Father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son. Jesus is the judge. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. That's his word on judgment. Judgment had to be satisfied. It would have been wrong for Ecclesiastes not to take us to that point and to lay it out there that there was someone coming who was going to deal with judgment, but you need to know that there will be a judgment. God could not have remained a just God if he simply decided not to judge people just to be a nice guy. He would not have been a just God. And that's what the cross is all about. Jesus, who perfectly kept the Father's commandments, went to the cross for those who didn't and don't. He lived the life that we were called to live. And then on the cross, he died the death that we deserved to die. If there is a judgment, there is a judge, and that's God. If there's a judgment, then everything matters, our words and thought and action. If there is a judgment, then God is just. But if there is a judgment and God provides an escape, He is also gracious. And that is what He's done. Remember the statement that Solomon made over and over. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher, all is vanity. All is vanity. without God. But in a loving relationship with the Father through Jesus Christ, all is meaningful. Everything, every thought, word, and deed of ours has eternal significance. All is meaningful. Praise be to God. Let's bow together. Lord, you have shown us in this book again and again
that when we search for our meaning and significance in, in created things, we will come to the end of that and say all is meaningless, it, it is empty, it is vanity. Thank you for showing us the end of the whole matter. And that is the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Lord, we pray that you would open hearts today, that you would give us ears to hear, that you would give us hearts that wish to respond to you. You have poured out your love on the cross. Will you enable us to receive it, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.